ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AT Banter. Banter, 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 banter. Uh, so what is this, some sort of a coup? Like what, happened? <laughs> what, what happened? Oh my god, did I'm just... gone a week and what the hell happened? That's the new I, intro, what do you think? Just, did, I don't know, I guess... <laughs> you see clearly ryan and steve got together and rehearsed that all day so we're gonna have to leave that in well yeah and and you've got to add a little bit of uh, echo to my uh, banters there too okay fair i can do, i can also do that fix that in post uh hey this is of course the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to inspire better conversation about disability Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, the new voice of the podcast, Mr. Ryan Fleury. Hello, Rob Minot. And uh, also here in the room, Mr. Steve Barkley. That is me. Thank you. Doing a lovely, a lovely pair of banterings. Uh, and hey, look who it is. She's back. Liz Malone is here. On drums. Nice. Well, I, I, we have an, a huge action-packed show today. Uh, but before we get into that, I know we also have a lot to talk about, a lot of ground to cover. So let's get right to it. Uh, how is everybody? I can't smell or taste. <laughs> See, that was a loaded question. We knew Liz coming. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Liz. So are you you're recording this from your bedside? Is that is that the deal? What what stage of of the the vid are you in? Um, I can breathe. My fever's gone. My throat is mostly clear, but I'm still in the weight loss phase because I can't smell or taste. <laughs> well, so what is I mean, you can still eat. So does that just mean it's no fun to eat anything and you don't bother or you don't have any appetite or what's, what's the deal there? I think, it, I mean, if you don't, if you can't enjoy your food, you're not going to overeat. You're not no, going to you... have seconds. It's just, it just becomes a function of survival. Right. So my, my, I've been, I told somebody today, I said, it took me to get COVID to lose COVID pounds, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Actually, that is kind of funny. So basically, that's kind of what Ironic. happened. I, I've yeah, I've lost five pounds in this just during this wow. COVID. Part. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Not healthy. Well, five, just, just yeah. Well, excellent. Well, how is everybody else's uh, taste and smell? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Fine and dandy. I people say I still lack taste. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Well, you know, speaking of taste and before we get to, uh, the, the main, the main body of the show, uh, we do have some news, Liz, uh, we received your package, uh, I, last week. I heard a little, I, a little birdie told me we did. We went through, arrived. yeah, we had a little unboxing. Uh, it was very exciting. So uh, we do look forward to digging into a lot of those. Uh, although Steve has them, uh, me and Ryan were talking about wait, that wait, earlier. Wait, 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 Steve had them. No, no, we don't I know still, if he still I has st them. I, I still have them, although although uh -oh. there is an English bulldog who's eyeing them sideways. Oh, I see. I know. I see. We gotta get gotta get those out of there before that the dog or the kids get into the box. 
Have you ever seen that many cookies outside of the supermarket <laughs> ever, Steve? <laughs> no, not not, yet, not ever. Not even one. Well, actually, hang on. There's been a couple of Christmases where people went hog wild, so maybe. Uh, or, or, you know, outside of a Girl Scout cookie stand or something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole lot of cookie. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess we should we should put this a little bit into context uh, for those people who didn't actually listen last week. Um, so we got a, a lovely collection of Oreos and Doritos from our good friend down there in the United States, Miss Liz Malone. And she spent a lot of money on shipping just <laughs> to make us fat. So we do appreciate that. For my friends up north who can still smell and taste or or to really just show off um all the different varieties of oreos <laughs> that she has easy access to that we can have like a one box of and then we're screwed for the rest of our lives so take your pick well, take your pick whether she was being altruistic or cruel <laughs> well i guess it'll, we'll, we'll find out how good they are when um when c finally decides to uh, stop hoarding <laughs> no, we just got to go over. I'll just head over. They're all, they're all going to go to Ryan's place because I got to get him away from me. So, <laughs> well, you have to you have to decide what you, which ones you want. We have to. We have. To, I, I think we kind of did that last week, didn't we? Didn't we kind of put dibs on the ones that we wanted? Kind yeah, of, and, sort of. But... And they're all going to you and Rob. That's or to Ryan and Rob. It's, I, I'm <laughs> no, not. Some... I'm not taking any of these. Really? I thought you wanted something. I thought there was one. There was of them something in there, and yeah. that's why it's going to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're not going to keep one package. Not a single one of them. And Stevie, I re- I commend your willpower, sir. It's not willpower. If I crack the 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 seal on that thing, it, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's me and Doritos. <laughs> All right. All right. Anyways. Well, if you bring uh, him over, bring him over this week because I may be hitting Rob's on Saturday. If you oh, have a chance, Steve. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can bring him over this week. No problem. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. There you go. Okay. All right. We're all caught uh, up on news. Yeah. We, that's right. Big news. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, why don't you tell us and everybody at home what the heck we're doing today? Well, today we have two guests joining us, a husband and wife team. They are Ido and Micaiah Utini. Ido has appeared on the BBC podcast, Lives Less Ordinary, that's what it's called, and is also a human rights activist and founder of Fulbrighters with Disabilities. She and her husband, Micaiah, are also co-founders and independent journalists over at The Date Keepers. So, Ido and Micaiah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And um, this is Ido. Um, And I would like to thank uh, Adriana for um, uh, uh, the introduction. So, I'm really excited to share a little bit about myself, my background, my story and uh, the things that I have been doing and what I plan to do. And uh, here also my um, husband um, will also share what we do together as um, with the date keepers and uh, whatever he feels like sharing about himself. Well, that's perfect. Well, listen, why don't we start right there? Ido, why don't you... um... Tell us a little bit of your background and a little bit about you, and then we'll, we'll move on to the hubby. 
Awesome. Um, again, I'm really excited to share um, uh, my uh, story and my experience and my knowledge and everything basically with um, uh, the community. Um, I am totally blind. I was born and raised in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. Uh, that's uh, Northwest Africa, uh, in the middle of nowhere, with no access to technology, electricity, or running water. I am a Fulbright scholar, journalist, human rights advocate, and accessibility activist. I am the founder of Fulbrighters with Disabilities, a virtual international chapter that supports and advocates and guides uh, students and scholars with disabilities like myself across the world. And I am the co-founder of the Daykeepers, where we share stories of people with disabilities, allies, and advocates um, uh, around the world too. Um, everything is, is global. So <laughs> I am also an accessibility outreach manager for AudioEye, an industry leading digital accessibility company that provides uh, accessibility solution to companies of all shapes and sizes. Uh, that's my full-time job, um, the last one. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't born to be, well, I think I was born to become all of this, but there was no um, signs or even resources. Like, as I said earlier, I was born in the middle of nowhere. Both of my parents were deceased when I was very young. I was shoveled between family members and um, experienced a lot of abuse, neglection, and um, uh, never went to school um, when I was a kid. Um, my left eye started to get damaged at some type, sometime in my life. I don't know when, because again, I, I had no access to not only electricity, water, and uh, technology, but also education. Um, when I was in my early teenage years, I moved from my father's side to my mother's family side. And um, when I was 17, I was attacked and blinded by a family member and was left in the hospital, was abandoned again um, by my family. And I ended up becoming homeless for six years in Morocco. Um, but the one really good thing happened uh, that year, 2007, um, I was 17, was that I started school for the first time. It was tough. It was a lot of challenges. Um, I learned Braille in one day, and um, I learned how to read at first in Arabic, then French, and then later English. Um, see, I didn't know that I was going to be um, homeless for six years, so I think the fact that I didn't know helped. I also became quickly addicted to reading, so I was reading, and um, I had dreams to go to the U.S., which I am now in the U.S., so um, all of those dreams uh, uh, were accomplished. I also had a dream to work for the U.N., and those dreams, those dreams um, sustained me uh, during those uh, very hard times when I was homeless, and I graduated high school, went to the university, majored in English, um, literature and then English applied linguistics. In 2017, I was awarded the Fulbright Scholarship to go to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas in the United States 
to pursue my master's degree in journalism and strategic media at the University of Arkansas. That's where I was first introduced to technology. It was overwhelming, but also exciting at the same time. A little bit about the Fulbright. The Fulbright program is a state department program. Um, it's an exchange program for students, scholars, and researchers across the world, not only for people with disabilities. Um, everyone um, is welcome to apply. Um, there's a, the, a lot of programs. Um, each country has different programs, um, and some countries have a lot. Some countries have only few, um, but if anyone is interested, um, the best ways to look at the Fulbright office in their country or um, at the, the US consulate or, or US embassy um, if the country doesn't have a Fulbright office because that's the case in some countries. Um, I went to the university and that's where I met uh, my uh, best friend and, and my husband. Um, we were friends. Uh, went a lot for coffee and I got sick and I had surgery. So he was um, the friend stuck staying with me. Um, then we fall in love. <laughs> um, I uh, completed a six month internship with the United Nations Development Program, um, worked on um, disability inclusion at work, how people with disabilities like myself can be included um, in the work Um at work and within the organizations and how to provide accommodations and basically how to include people with disabilities, not only with like, providing technology, but um, understanding and um, uh, being um, supportive and um, not including only like that one person with one disability um, represents all people from that disability. Um, I worked as a journalist for an international magazine, Ability Magazine, uh, contracted for four months where I um, wrote and published stories of people with disabilities and allies and advocates around the world. And I co-chaired a panel at the United Nations headquarters in New York. Um, it was a lot of fun. I um, then in September of last year, I was recruited to serve as an accessibility outreach manager for AudioEye, and I've been traveling a lot. And I decided to, um, along with my partner, um, start our own media organization so that we can not only share stories of people with disabilities, allies and advocates, but all the stories that have been passed over by the traditional media, um, and also give the platform of uh, writers with disabilities or the minorities who um, write and, and cannot find a platform to publish their work. Um, that's me, and uh, over to you. Yeah, okay. so. Um, I am Makaya. I'm, I wasn't, uh, she, her name is Utini and I took her name when we got married. So I was born Makaya Walters and I am from North Carolina originally in the U.S. It's in the Southeast and I'm from Asheville, which is a town in the Appalachian mountains. And just for, to take us on a brief detour, about 200 million years ago, um, the, uh, continents of, uh, North America and Africa and Europe were all part of the same landmass, and they started to diverge about 200 million years ago. 
And when they did, there was this mountain range, which would, most of it stayed in the North and North American landmass. And part of it broke off and ended up in Ireland, the northern part, and uh, the other part ended up, um, the bottom corner ended up in North Africa and became the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. And that mountain chain is the Appalachian mountain chain. So Ito and I actually are from the same mountains if you go back far enough. We met in Arkansas, like she said. We actually met um, on her first or second day in the U.S., was it your first or second? My second day. Yeah, your second day in the U.S. That we was when we met. I was working. I was a graduate student there, studying creative writing, and I was also working for a, a language school, an English language school, which also ran programs for international students and orientations for Fulbright scholars. And I happened to be working the dinner that Ito was invited to, along with her cohort. And I sat next to her, and I you know, within five minutes, I heard the highlights of her story. She had been homeless for six years. She's blind and she's a Fulbright scholar and she speaks seven languages. And I thought, oh, that that's a way to make an impression. <laughs> but we didn't actually. Yeah, right. But we didn't um, we didn't reconnect immediately after the dinner. I would see her around because she was a journalism student and I was in the writing program. And so we shared a building, uh, but I didn't um, go up and bother her because she was always in the middle of something, it seemed. Um, and I didn't expect that we would become friends in the future, but two years later, we did. During the intervening two years, we almost got connected several times. I was working for the writing center on campus as well, tutoring, um, and I had a lot of international students as clients. And I was actually trained to work with students who are blind or visually impaired and use screen readers in preparation for Ito coming to the writing center but then there was an administrative uh, coup at the Writing Center, and I didn't agree with the way the new management was running things, and so I left right before Ito became a permanent client. And she stayed there for, I think it was a semester? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and then um, that wasn't working out for her either, so she started looking for someone to work with her directly. Um, and we, I got referred to her a couple of times by a couple of different people, but it didn't actually take until 2019. And I had graduated by that time, and she was working on her thesis, and a mutual friend and Fulbright scholar uh, connected us. And so I went over to her apartment one afternoon to um, meet her again and to talk about what she wanted to get out of uh, the tutoring sessions. And, um, and I remembered that we had met, and it turned out that she did not remember, but that was fine because... I didn't have anything to, you know, to stand up against her impression, um, her story. So I, her story is a lot more memorable. So within the first 10 or 15 minutes, instead of talking about her thesis, we talked about, uh, we talked about trauma. We talked about Jean-Paul Sartre. We talked about his essay being in nothingness and how Ito has overcome trauma and overcome to some degree um, subjectivity. And so we ended up in this, long intellectual conversation that was really stimulating for both of us. And so for the next few weeks, we were working together on her thesis, but we were also becoming friends. And we continued to meet for coffee even after her thesis was done and, and defended. Um, and then as she said, in 2020, she had to have surgery to prepare her eye sockets for her prosthetics. And I stayed with her when she was recovering for that surgery. 
and that deepened our friendship. We still were not a couple. Everybody thought we were at the time, but um, <laughs> but we actually weren't. And then uh, it was not until 2021 um, when she'd moved to another state uh, and I went to visit her for her birthday. And that was when we started a relationship. And we've been together ever since then. We're coming up on our two-year anniversary now. Uh, and as she said, uh, last year, at the very end of last year, we decided to launch our own media platform, The Date Keepers, because both of us, um, she's a journalist and I'm a writer, and both of us are storytellers, and both of us are dissatisfied with the ways that media and publishing industries are leaving a lot of like stories that are worth telling untold or unpublished. And you would think with so many organizations and so many alternative media outlets now in existence, you'd think there would be room for everybody, but there still is a lot of market captured by large organizations and also by ideologies that kind of focus on telling one type of story over and over instead of telling a plurality of stories. So we want our platform to be a place where a lot of different things can happen at once. The core of what we're doing at this point is we are telling the stories of advocates and allies and people with disabilities who are doing interesting things all around the world. We are also giving a platform to writers with disabilities um, to submit their work. And we are also publishing our own essays and commentaries. And we can intend to continue branching out from there and just seeing what the future brings and who wants to collaborate and who wants to get involved. Um, but if you'd like a taste of the kinds of stories that we've published so far, the first piece that we ran was a profile of a man named Bhaskar Bhattacharji. He is Bangladeshi, and he his career is, I would say, almost as extraordinary as Ito's. <laughs> um, he's, he's a bit older, but he also has a really amazing story. Um, he was one of the, and I think maybe the first um, blind person in Bangladesh to gain admission to a university. And he had to fight for that, of course. And there were no resources. There were no materials. He had to do everything on his own. He had to convince the professors that um, his Braille books were actually books and not uh, not toys or witchcraft materials or something of that sort. And now he has led a massive effort to make the Bangladeshi government all of all of their digital content accessible for screen reader users. And they have a lot of web pages. I think it's upward of 33,000 and all run by the Bangladeshi government. All of that has been made accessible. He's made sure that all of the textbooks available- um, in, Are in DAISY format. Yeah, in DAISY format and available as um, downloadable eBooks and convertible into Braille books. Um, and that's those are some of the- um, the most salient things he's done, but he's got a lot of projects going on. So yeah, they also have uh, smartphones that he set up, um, you know, with screen reader and, and uh, distribute them for uh, blind and visually impaired students around the country. So it's it's amazing what what they're doing. Uh, we also uh, did a story on um, a guy from Palestine. His name is Osama Shamalach, who invented an elevator that is accessible by uh, voice. And also for people with wheelchair, and it's an external um, elevator um, in case of emergencies like fire or um, hmm. other emergencies. Yeah, those are those are type of uh, stories that we have a lot of stories. I've 
done a lot of interviews last year, um, this year too. A lot of people are reaching out. Of course, you know, like it's uh, sometimes slow to to reply because, as I said, we have other work, and I have my memoir. Um, yeah, so we have we have really interesting um, stories that uh, we've been sharing. Talk to me a little bit about about what that was like moving from Morocco to the U.S. initially and how you kind of were, were able to balance because you, you were I'm sure that there were a lot of things going on. You were probably learning new assistive technology devices. You were learning about, you know, orientation, mobility. But at the same time, you were also there. There must have also been a bit of culture shock as well. What what were those early years kind of like for you? Oh, um, I'm not going to lie. They were tough. Um, I made it. I got all A's in my grad school. Um, but so um, technology, um, I never had technology back in Morocco. So I never had a screen reader. Um, I read about it uh, through using using a a personal assistant, like someone reading out loud or me um, having it in Boston, read it in Braille. I mainly use the Braille. So for example, my first day, I had no idea who was going to meet me at the airport. And my friend uh, back in Morocco used the Facebook account under my name and joined the University of Arkansas um, Fulbright uh, group. And uh, that's how he was connected in my name. Uh, or under my name with my American host father. And uh, they like, he gave him my description and I, I think picture um, and said, you know, she's gonna land in Fayetteville or in Northwest Arkansas um, on Monday at whatever time um, I forgot. And when I landed, um, I had a personal assistant and he's like, um, where, where are you going? And I said, I have no idea. Um, I was just there at the airport. Um, and um, the if, after a few uh, minutes of walking, um, a person stopped and says, are you Ido? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I'm here to pick you up. And I'm like, well, yeah, let's go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't know what, where I was going, but I was so exhausted. I, um, um, as I said, I came from... Um, not poor background, but basically from nothing and uh, not having parents or, or anyone to support me. So I came to the US, I published an article in the Chicago Tribune where I literally start saying um, penniless and sightless. So um, I landed in New York and then Atlanta. And I remember I was so hungry and I didn't even have the money to buy uh, food on my way to my host state, uh, which was Arkansas. Um, when my American host father brought me on the way, he, um, uh, took me to the store, AT&T and got me an iPhone and I touched it. And I said, there's no way I can use this. It has no braille buttons. And I don't really think I can use it. I am blind. Um, I stood against the wall and, and I burst into tears, um, and he said, you're a graduate student and you are a Fulbright scholar. Um, you have to learn how to use this. And when they got me the computer, um, I had no idea how to use a computer. When I touched the keyboard again, they said, well, find A. And I'm like, well, 
I thought it's escape, like you start A, B, C, D, and count. But then when I counted, I found a bunch of buttons and I'm like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I was very, very, very um, ignorant uh, when it comes to technology. But my Fulbright advisor um, flew from Washington, D.C. to Arkansas and introduced me to my professors, to the university, talked to them about me, and um, I received a lot of support. People from the city started coming to read out loud to me while I was learning how to use um, uh, technology. I mainly benefited from listening to um, YouTube channel, the Headley Institute for um, the Blind, uh, to learn about iPhone and iPad. And then when I learned those, it was easy for me to learn the computer. Um, it took me a whole semester. And after um, that, I managed to, as I said, uh, graduate high school. There were some, uh, like Makaya mentioned earlier, um, health issues, went through a bunch of surgeries, um, got um, uh, benign tumors, had another surgery. Um, and ended up when I wanted to look for employment, I found out that I had to go through um, extensive um, assistive technology training at Alpha Point in Kansas City, Missouri. I did and uh, I completed all of that. Um, as for the culture, I was fine. I knew Americans back in Morocco and I went to the American Language Center. So it wasn't as much cultural shock as much as the technology and uh, the uh, academic uh, world that I had to navigate that was totally different from the university and like using braille and, and uh, someone read out loud um, was not something that is encouraged here in the States and they had to learn. Um, but yeah, after, like, as I said, after a semester, um, I learned um, how to basically do uh, not everything, as we all know, the web is not accessible. 97% of it is not accessible. So uh, I still even today sometimes submitting forms or with the CAPTCHA, as we all know, and um, all of those things. It's, uh, you know, we still, it's what it is. We are blind living in the um, sighted world, <laughs> I guess. So there is still a lot uh, to be done. And that's um, what I do with advocacy is raising awareness and make people understand that if I have been able to accomplish all of this, um, there are other people, if given opportunities and resources, they will accomplish more than this. Um, okay, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the the blog? I, I want to talk a little bit about Daykeepers and uh, explore a little bit more about what you were talking about being sort of um, dissatisfied with um, with the media. Because uh, honestly, I think that that's a, a frustration that that we all have and, and that we can all agree on. Well, um, you know, as we all know and call it inspiration porn is what... Um, most, I wouldn't say all because I haven't read all uh, the traditional media have been doing um, is like telling a story of a person with disability if it's if it fits that narrative of inspiration porn. Uh, for example, when I was homeless for six years and when I needed the support, um, I tried going to the media back in Morocco over and over and I couldn't 
um, get them to tell my story. I'm sure if they did, there would be a lot of people who were interested in supporting me because, you know, a blind student wanting to um, improve her life by, you know, going to school and learning and becoming independent. But the media are stuck in like trying to activate negative emotions. And, you know, because if if you have a positive story, like what we shared earlier, like someone inventing a very amazing elevator that can help people with disabilities in disasters, or someone making the whole country accessible, or, you know, someone advocating for people with disabilities through their job or whatever the case is, um, those stories will not, as we all know, activate uh, not only um, algorithms, because algorithms are fed with the, the stories that uh, they are used to, but they would not um, make people emotional as much to react. So um, that was the source for me. I've always loved, like I, I've loved being a journalist. It, it was a dream. And when I applied to the Fulbright Scholarship, I actually wrote in my um, statement that um, if given scholarship, I will start my own international media platform. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So with the creation of the blog, who is sort of the intended audience? Is it the disability community or is it the mainstream community or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both. We're still finding the audience, but what we're trying to do is is tell stories that have complexity to them, stories that have nuance and stories that don't fit into the ideological categories that people are used to. So I think that it presents a challenge because the easy path to an audience is to decide which ideological narrative you're going to appeal to and then find who is tuned into that narrative and then connect the dots but that's not what we're trying to do so we are trying to reach a broad audience it's probably going to be a very disparate audience uh, and you know one or two or three people from the audience may have very little in common but it takes time to build that kind of readership but it also I think it's going to be more stable in the long run because if we were appealing to a certain ideological narrative and then we accidentally or deliberately failed to uphold that narrative, we would lose a lot of our readers. But we're trying to give people something that I, th I think a lot of people are yearning for, which is complexity and, and a story that is that has enough depth and enough range to capture something of the essence of human experience, as opposed to uh, a, an argument that is supporting a certain policy end or a certain outlook on the world or, or something of that nature. See, and I, and I love that, but I also feel like, you know, you guys have your work cut out for you, you know, fighting against this algorithm because, you know, that's, oh, yeah. you know, you know, the, it, it definitely is a problem. Um, and this is a, a, you know, a problem, a societal problem that far goes beyond, you know, disability. Um, it, it's just, it, you know, everybody gets in these echo chambers and, and is fed news stories and, and opinions that already align with, with their own. So, you know, the idea of, of, you know, consuming content that is going to make you actually think outside the box uh, is, is a little bit foreign these days. It's a challenge, but people love Ito. It's one thing we've realized. People love Ito and people love Ito's stories. And we are 
we're working on telling bits and pieces of Ito's story, but also using that to build a platform where we can bring in a plurality of other voices as well. Well, and I, and I love that too, that you guys are sort of fighting this idea of, of inspiration porn, because that's another really big problem. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's either inspiration porn or if it's anything that's, that's extraordinary, um, that's mm -hmm. going to catch people's attention that these are the stories that, um, that seem to make it into the mainstream. And, you know, like, like your example that you used, um, you know, the, the stories of somebody who, you know, creates a really great elevator, you know, mm -hmm. nobody hears about those stories. Well, and we could have told that story two other ways as opposed to how we told it. We could have told it as the story of, a, a, as an inspiration porn story about a man who invents an elevator against all odds, or we could, in spite of having a disability, in spite of being from a poor country, in spite of being in a war zone, et cetera, or we could have told it as the story of a man who lost his leg because he happened to live in a war zone. He was not involved in any of the armed groups and he was caught in the crossfire one day uh, on his way to see a, an English tutor and um, he, he, that was how he lost his leg is he was shot at point blank range by an armed in a, a, a member of an armed militia group. So we could have told that story through either of those lenses and we included all of that information in the story, but the story is, it's bigger than that because it's his life. It's how he incorporates those two dimensions of experience. And hopefully people will I think people do respond to that. It's just, it's hard to get past that initial expectation. I I want to just ask about the, that finding that balance between inspiration porn and, and sharing a story of inspiration, because on one hand, I absolutely understand that you you're treading that line because you don't want it to come across as just purely inspiration porn, but at the same time, you need to also have a inspirational voice for maybe people in the in the disability community who are seeking stories mm. of others um, facing some of the things that they that they face on a daily challenge and we'll use that as inspiration. So it's sort of like who who how do you define who gets to get inspiration? And that's always been the the tricky part of the quote unquote inspiration porn in general is like, when is it considered inspiration porn and when is it considered inspirational? And, and it's just based on the person who consumes it and the way they take it away. Well, I I face that challenge every, not single day, not single hour, not single minute. It's single second. Every breath of me is literally that, every thought. I face that every day because I share my story, right? I was basically, you know, I was neglected, homeless, orphaned, all of it. And then became a Fulbright scholar, international scholar, um, successful woman. So I think personally, the way I do it is um, I have media platforms. When they reach out to me, they say, let's talk about the Fulbright. Well, Fulbright is a prestigious uh, scholarship. Everyone knows that. Um, but uh, at least three that I'm thinking about now at the top of my head of the media that media outlets that reached out to me. Um, I literally had my own, um, uh, uh, my own rules that I said, if you are not allowing me to talk about my past, I am not going to just say, you know, 
oh, life is awesome. I am in America and I'm successful and all of that. I said, no, I have to say everything. Like uh, one of you guys asked earlier, how was it when I came to the US? I'm like, it wasn't easy. I'm not gonna lie and say, hey, blind people, just go out there to the university or college and you know, you're gonna find um, a party waiting for you. No, there's challenges. And I always highlight those challenges. And I always say, like, anyone can look Ito Utini, and my name is spelled I-T-T-O-O-U-T-I-N-I, and you will find a lot um, that things that I talk about. When I was in the grad school, I was hit by a giant, literally, they call them giant tumors. Uh, PVNS is the abbreviation, pigmented synovisus. New virologist, I'm torturing the thing. Yes, exactly. Um, there you go. Um, <laughs> I am I'm really bad at pronouncing it. But when I got that, I was preparing to defend my thesis. And I ended up in a cancer hospital alone. I didn't know anyone. And the hospital told me to leave. I think it was like around 7 or 9 p.m. Um and I was on a wheelchair, blind on a wheelchair, and the, it was a hospital wheelchair. They were going to take their wheelchair back and gave me this little cane that wasn't even as strong as my cane I used as a blind. And it had nowhere to go. And I still defended my thesis on the wheelchair, and I had to fight uh, to, to get everything I got. And I think that's where, again, inspiration porn comes in, is if I come here to the show and be like, yeah, you just need to work hard. Yes, I had to work hard, but but it was it was tough. You know, it's it, I, I that was, was going to be a, a question that I did ask because I did kind of feel like you know the, even the way that we discovered you, um, you know, I think we we first heard you on the BBC um, podcast, and you know, it's an amazing story. But does it does it ever feel sort of I don't know what the word is cringy? <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll use cringing. Cringe. Thank you, right? <laughs> but, do you, but like, do you ever sort of listen to that back and, and you realize that they kind of lean into one aspect of the story or one aspect of your personality and they, and they don't really paint you as a full fleshed out three dimensional human being that has good days and it has and you have bad days and sometimes your attitude is great and i don't know maybe some days your attitude sucks and you, you just you feel like you know just going back to bed does it ever sort of get frustrating the way that sort of your you have been portrayed in those media outlets um i think actually bbc was the best um i was respected during the interview um they were very serious about asking you know really uh, like hard questions about trauma. They were very, very nice. Um, I never had um, any uh, media platform that was interested or interviewed me. There were a lot that I had to turn down because of that, uh, because of them coming straight with um, like a story in mind. For example, when I had tumors in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, a journalist came to me and wanted to interview me about, you know, poor blind you on a wheelchair and it really 
you know, it's not fun. You're going through hell and this and that. And I said, no, I am grateful. I have a community. I have friends. My friends are here supporting me 24 seven. Um, you know, like, as I said, when I ended up in a cancer hospital, like three hours far from where um, I was living, I, I was alone, but I spent four years in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas with people I consider not only best friends, but family and I am worried, married to one of them. So, you know, um, yes, media, that's that's one of the things, as I said earlier, sometimes they come to um, report in about a certain part of the story. But again, I, I fight that every day. So thankfully, I am a well-trained journalist. So, you know, if um, if someone has knows the same trick like the other, I don't think they can trick them. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's what I what I do with journalism. So I am a journalist and I am not afraid of fellow journalists. Of course, I can't control um, at the end what's being edited. Most of the time I say I have to look at it before it gets published for those reasons. Like, um, again, one time I was interviewed in a, a media platform that they even screwed my story. They said, I lost my sight at the age of 27. I actually lost it at 17. Um, and I don't know how they calculated. And I think at that time, I think it was 2017 when they published the story. I think I was um, like 57 or 58 years old. And guess what? <laughs> We're in 2023 and, and I am 34. So I guess I'm becoming younger <laughs> as I go. <laughs> listen, listen, English majors were notoriously bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's journalism too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is that also with with stories, especially if they're, I mean, when they're printed, there's typos galore because there aren't any humans that are editing stories anymore. Yeah, well, listen, just be glad that a human, yeah, I mean, legit chat BT, GPT soon will be writing everything. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, right. and very and very few outlets have fact checkers anymore also mm. that, after the piece gets submitted that you actually get the phone call where they, they, I, I mean, and some of the big ones still do, but it's still a very, it's like a very luxurious uh, uh, thing to have a fact checker on staff, I think for a lot of media. That's right. Yeah. Follow AT Banter's example. Our research team is top notch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, and again, you know, I think that that what you guys are doing, it kind of heartens me because I do feel like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the, the, anybody in the disability community would just be happy to get any sort of coverage. And I think that it's important that we're getting to the stage now that we can start actually saying, no, you know what, it's not just about being covered. It's about being covered the right way. It's about representation. It's about inclusion. Um, these These factors are important. It's not just about, um, you know, throwing the odd story up there to to garner clicks um that's going to make you know some able-bodied person feel good about their day mm -hmm. is there anything else that we haven't covered that you guys would like to talk about before we start wrapping up i don't think so uh so um if anyone wants to reach out to us that's the datekeepers.com it's one word and you can find contact us the email datekeepers at gmail.com. Um, 
yeah, we look forward to hearing from you and connecting. Oh, we should also add um, the date keepers. The name comes from Utini, from the family name. It's a literal translation, and it refers to the fruit of the date palm tree, oh. like the one who keeps the the date fruits. Now that makes sense. Now I was because I was yeah. trying to. <laughs> Yeah, we maybe should have led with that. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. That's, um, it's not a dating site for journalists. Oh, sadly. <laughs> you never know where it's going to go. That might be how we figure out we need to make income. <laughs> That'll be the next site, wellinformedhookups.com. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Um, and I love what you guys are doing. Um, best of luck with the site. And um, please feel free to come back anytime and, and chat with us whenever you're up to something else. I have one more question. Uh-huh. Makaya, you said you were from North Carolina, correct? Yes. So is Liz Malone, our co-host here. So are you familiar with Frugal McDougal? Oh no wait. No, I'm I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so that's my excuse. <laughs> I had to ask. I, so I listen, I don't I, I don't know what years you were living in Asheville, because I'm in Charlotte. Uh but Asheville is like the Mac Daddy home of all these kick-ass breweries, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. if you want some really good beer on tap, that's where you want to go. You want to go to Asheville. Yep. Nice. Yep. Well, and I moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and there, theirs is a much, much, much smaller version, but they're kind of trying to do the same thing. Mm. They're so. trying to be like a, a little bougie beer town? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they, they haven't really decided if they're doing beer or arts. Or, they've been a university town for a long time, but they're kind of trying to pick their lane now because they're, they're, they're growing, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to be now. Well, Ash, Asheville has done a pretty nice job of it, I have to say. Yeah. I have to give them, I have to give them uh, some props. Yeah, the River Arts District especially is really nice. Road trip. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. Oh, you, know you need that self-driving car, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, and Chat GPT will be driving it. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. All right. Thanks so much. Nice thanks. to meet you guys. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. 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 You know, speaking of cultural exchanges, I was thinking about this. You know, we I've learned more about North Carolina in the last year <laughs> than uh, ever. Yeah. And honestly, like uh, every time, it just seems like anything that I see in the news now, it's like, oh, that happened in North Carolina. Like, because then they shoot, they, they shoot, shoot down the Chinese. Down. Yep. The Chinese when, spy balloon got shot down over North Carolina. It did. Yep. Actually, no, it was off the coast of South Carolina. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, I thought, still getting them mixed up. But, but of course we're bordering states and it's, it's yeah. very, it's not far. Yeah. Well, I, I think I it feel... was off the coast of Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Oh, I see. Well, see, I think that's just part of being in North Carolina is that you guys get the blame or the credit for anything that happens <laughs> in either. Cause well, people they, just hear well, Carolina and they go, yeah, Oh yeah. Well, well, they call it the Carolinas. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. so take credit for that. Wear that like a badge of honor that you, you, <laughs> Because <laughs> I did, I thought about emailing you. Be like, "Hey, could you see it from your house?" <laughs> you know what, though, it it did it did go over Charlotte because I they were saying that uh, people had, there were sightings for sure. Mm. Um, 
I was in the throes of COVID. So I was, there was not, nothing was, I mean, a spaceship would not, with aliens would not have gotten me out of bed. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I was like, okay, great. Balloon overhead, spy balloon. Hi. Oh, it's fine. As long as it doesn't crash into my house, I'm fine. Such a weird story. But what, the, I mean, I will say though, that for years to come, I bet you it, hanging out on the beach with the, your metal detector, those, you know, those people mm. that we think that, that yeah. you, know, you think that they're always, you call them like, they're like land pirates. They're looking for the, the lost, the poor lost engagement ring on the beach, stuff like that. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to be maybe finding pieces of this, um, this, you know, yeah. balloon and um, you're, you're going to see it, you know, parts of it being sold on eBay. I would buy that. I found this on the web. Oh. <laughs> so, whoa, she's already, she's, someone's already found it. <laughs> uh, part of a Chinese, Chinese spy balloon. Uh, that just kills, I don't know, it just, that's really funny to me, a spy balloon. They, they talk about how stealth bombers look like, uh, you know, a flock of geese to, to, to radar, you know, granted a flock of geese going Mach 2, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe that was, maybe that was the same, same problem here. Or maybe, maybe this just looked like a flock of geese that was flying very, very slowly. It's true. Three buses tall. That's a lot of geese. You know, every, everybody in Canada knows how suspicious geese are to begin with, but I think the rest of the world needs to wake up to them. What, was, the, this... was the little man out in that canoe, uh, did he spot the balloon? No, but uh, I don't your, think so. Your, your intelligence agencies? What, what's that? C-Sax? Arranger whatever. C-Sax? right. That's right. What I call C-Sax? <laughs> no no that's the ceases book club is csac <laughs> um no but listen you you guys haven't clued in on our spy satellites the all the gopros that we've strapped to geese <laughs> let them go we don't, we, don't, we don't need we don't need spy cams we don't we don't need anything fancy we've got ryan reynolds for god's sakes i mean <laughs> he can probably get anywhere that's true. Yeah, so he gets invited to the White House all the time. He seems scribbling notes. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds? Sure. The, they, owner of, you... the owner of Mint Mobile? Yeah, that no. guy. What? Mint Mobile? <laughs> yeah, he owns Mint Mobile. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. And he, and he stars in all their commercials. It's like, yeah. hi, okay. I'm, I'm Ryan Reynolds. I'm the owner of Mint Mobile. Yeah. Yeah, that That's, guy. Yeah. Everybody, you guys love him. What are you talking about? We do? Sure. He's, okay. He's, <laughs> uh, maybe he's not, I guess, clearly not big in the Carolinas. I I can't say that I'm a fan. I don't hate yeah. him, but I, I, I have a, I, my, my takeaway from him, I'm like, the guy who owns Mint Mobile? <laughs> I can't name a movie, but I know he owns Mint Mobile. Deadpool. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah, he's, he's the guy who plays Deadpool, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm. not like the original Deadpool movie, like the Clint Eastwood one. What? No. What? Yeah, there's a movie, I, The Deadpool. I, I think that's oh, the, the, dead, the oh, Deadpool. God. Oh, oh, these guys okay. are talking Marvel or not Marvel. Forget it. Just forget it. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be lost on you. Green Lantern, Deadpool. You're in now. Right. And a bunch Sorry. of romantic comedies. You probably you probably know them from romantic But comedies. come on, the, the Deadpool movies. classic dirty harry good stuff dirty yeah that's true that was a good movie so 
Um, we well, wrap it up. You got another show. Um, anything else to say about any of that? Nope. Not anything. Okay. Uh, well then let's, uh, I vote we get out of here. Let's go wrap it up. Okay. All right. Uh, Bring this balloon in for a landing or crash landing. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> hey, Liz. <laughs> hey, joke. She's not funny. I am so not funny. She begs to differ. What, uh, where can people find us? They can find us on the web at atbanter.com. They can also drop us a email if they so desire at uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. And if they want, they can find us on social media. We're at that Twits thing. We're at that Face thing. We're at that Insta thing, you know. And stay tuned for the AT Banter balloon that's going to be flying over your town soon. <laughs> Bring in a brand. Send one over. They even get shot cost. down. That'd be good marketing. Yeah. Be great exposure. Although, how do you, how do you get... How do you, you, we'd have to like, you have to differentiate yourself from just a regular balloon and to a spy balloon. So Let's I guess put the put Frugal McDougal logo on it and crash it in the Carolinas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> put a bunch of coupons in there. So then when it gets shot down, they all just kind of flutter down. It's raining Charlotte. Frugal McDougal. It's raining deals. <laughs> deals on vodka. Um, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Ido and Micaiah. And we will see everybody next, next week. week on AT Banter. Banter, 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 banter. I don't know if I like these new intros and outros. We have to tell you, we're going to need a meeting. <laughs> sounds like a Guar concert. I've been asking for a meeting for two years. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 